Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Continuing our series about living in community, um, I want to ask you guys this question starting off. Do you think that it's rude to reach out to others? Do you think that it's rude to reach out to others? First glance, of course not, right? Um, and today, that's, that's really what we're going to talk about is the need to reach out. The need to reach out. And let me read y'all Romans chapter 10, verse 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And this is Paul's exhortation to the church saying, how is anybody going to ever find out about Jesus unless someone tells them? And he even quotes the verse that says, beautiful are the, the feet of a messenger who brings good news. And even though all of us can clearly see like, of course it's not rude to reach out to somebody, to lend a hand, right? Yet when it comes to our faith, isn't that the number one reason of why we refuse to reach out to people? It's why we refuse to share our faith with somebody else because we're afraid of imposing something on them. Well, what if they think, what if they get offended? What if they, what if they think I'm being rude or I'm being, uh, you know, judgmental or, you know, we have all these things in our head of why we think it's wrong to share our faith with somebody else. Anyone ever have thoughts like that before? It's all the time. That's our number one reason of why we hold back. And I want to share perspective with everyone. When we talk about reaching out, we really got to break this, this mindset that has been ingrained into us by our culture. And that's a mindset of ethical relativism. Anyone hear of what ethical relativism is? Anyone ever hear of that term before? It's the idea, it's a theory that holds that morality is relative to the norms of one's culture. That is, whether an action is right or wrong depends on the, mo- the moral norms of that society in which it is practiced. The same action may be morally right in one society, but be morally wrong in another. And so it's pretty much the idea that if that's how people do things over there, it's wrong of you to impose your idea onto them. That's the way that they have always done things, and you shouldn't just try to get them to do the way things you do. Y'all get what I, and doesn't that sound pretty reasonable? You know, most, I was in a philosophy class and just about everybody in the class said that this sounds like the right ethical system when it comes to morality. And yet it's been, it's proven to not be a functional within a society. Because even though it sounds like the great idea of like, well, that's just how they do things. You know, we should impose our ideas. That goes, if you really hold that true, that means if there is a disease attacking a culture or a village or a group of people and you had the antidote or the cure, it would be wrong for you in ethical relativism to give them that cure because that's from your culture. Does that make sense? That, that's, they're just going to have to figure it out on their own because it's gonna be, I'm going to be imposing my culture onto them. And 
the truth is, is that there's parts of that 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 is that is good. It's like when you take it with a grain of salt. It's like that's true. For example, in Christianity, let me share a, a quick story. There's a mission. Some missionaries went from Brazil to a church in Cuba. And when the missionaries from Brazil got to the church in Cuba, everyone there was smoking cigars. And all the Brazilian missionaries thought were talk to themselves and think, oh my gosh, I can't believe they even call themselves Christians. They're smoking cigars all the time. What kind of Christians do they are they? Where did they send us? So they ended up, you know, finishing up their trip. And then when they went back, the church in Brazil had missionaries from Cuba come to their church. And when the Cuban missionaries got to Brazil, they're like, oh my gosh, everyone's drinking wine over here. These, these drunkards of Christians, how could they do this? And, and they're both so critical of each other because they couldn't understand that they simply had different cultures. See, that idea of ethical relativism makes sense and it's, it's good to practice. But the idea that we really ingrain is that we hold back on the goodness of our faith, the message of Jesus to others because we're afraid of imposing on somebody else. And, and the idea of, of being afraid of being intrusive, it, it's just, it's, it's really out of context when it comes to sharing our faith. It really is. And if you've ever known somebody or heard of someone go through intervention, intervention is when somebody has a big problem and those who what love them and care about them, sit them down and give them a serious talk. And it's very intrusive, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And why would they, why would everybody around them sit them down and say, you need to change this aspect of your life? Because they truly have compassion and love for that person. And when we understand that, the, that what we have about Jesus is not intrusive, but something that is so loving and so powerful, it, what we see is, is to see self-destruction and even ignorance as an opportunity for compassion instead is not bigotry. If you knew you had a cure to poison, why would you not offer it? For all of us, the message of Jesus was literally like that, a cure to our poison. Why would we not share that with somebody else? Y'all did what I'm saying? And, and it's not bigotry, it's compassion. If, if you saw somebody in the middle of the street looking the other way, and there's a truck coming and about to hit them, naturally, anyone that had any sense of compassion would either yell out or go and tackle that person out of the way, right? Because... You wouldn't want them to get injured by something they didn't even know about. But in ethical relativism, it's like, oh man, I would move out of the way, but that's their decision to make. And so I'm not even going to say anything. And so we don't even yell out. It's just, it doesn't make sense. And what we end up doing is to not share with someone the possibility of better or even a cure life to the death they feel in their life is robbing them of choice. You are robbing them of choice when you don't allow them to get the chance of sharing the information the way you share it, to, to just say something. They have the power to choose after you say it. 
You're not forcing them to do anything. You're just reaching out. And if you refuse to because uh, you're scared of what they might do or say or think, what you end up doing is you end up becoming the very thing you were afraid of becoming. And that's being super judgmental. You are judging that person and and their opportunity to choose before they even have the chance. Do y'all get that? It's like when when I was uh, at my dad's shop, he had a car dealership. And there's a guy that showed up and he was talking about how his funds were real hard right now and this and that. And he wanted to buy this uh, this V8 Cadillac. It was a super old school Cadillac. And it was the biggest gas guzzler of all time. And it's like the size of a boat. And he's telling me about his financial hardships, about how he has a kid and this and that. And he's like, man, but I really want this car. And I, for me, I was like, oh, man, you do not want this car. <laughs> You're gonna, it's going to destroy just in gas alone. And make a long story short, that's the car he ended up leaving with. And I realized that I was, uh, I was trying to judge what he should have and what he shouldn't because of my experiences, right? Rather than being unbiased and just presenting the opportunity and letting them choose for themselves, I was, even though I thought I was being nice, I was actually being judgmental. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And when we don't allow the people the opportunity to choose for themselves, it's the most judgmental thing to do. Everyone respect that. Y'all feel that scenario? And the, the last part about perspective that I want to share is understanding. You can be down to earth while still holding strong principles and beliefs. I think that's a fear that people have when it comes to sharing your faith is, a, is coming across as like a bigot or coming across as a person that's um, narrow-minded. And the truth is you, you can be so understanding while, and, and see other people's perspective while still sharing your strong, solid beliefs. Does that make sense? And it's all, you got to look at it as you're not imposing anything on anybody. You're giving them a choice. And they, have may, they may have never had that choice the way that you're going to sh- share that choice to them. And if you hold back, you're robbing them of that choice. Does that make sense? You can still be an understanding person. And in fact, to be understanding is one of the highest desired qualities in a person, isn't it? You, the people that, that, are really, that you really appreciate the most are those who understand you the most. Those that you can share anything with and they're not judgmental, they're understanding, right? It is an amazing quality to have. And you just got to get that you can be understanding of a person's problem or even understand that what they're going through, what their life is, that that's their normal expectation. And you can be understanding of that while still providing a solution or just some type of help. And if they don't want to take it, it's not on you. You're just trying to help them. You're reaching out. And to be understanding of if they reject you, that that's where understanding comes in. Y'all feel that? And so let's, let's talk about action. We talked about that perspective of just throwing out that perspective that we're being judgmental, reaching out. Because we all said at the beginning that it's not rude to reach out. So why would we not reach out with the most helpful thing in anybody's soul in eternity? 
So let's talk about action. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38, it says, When he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he had compassion on them. Notice that word compassion again. Because they were confused and helpless. They didn't know any better. Like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers to his field. There's another verse that says, look, the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready right now, but the workers are few. And what that means is that no matter who you talk to, whatever you have to say to that person when it comes to reaching out, especially with your faith, the harvest is ready. We have this idea like, oh, well, maybe they're not ready yet. Well, the truth is the harvest is ready. Jesus is saying the, the harvest is always ready, so send more laborers. Why is he asking for more laborers? Because everybody is making excuses of why they can't work the harvest. The same way that all of us have made excuses, everybody continues to make those excuses. And somehow we find an excuse for every person that we have had a chance to reach out to. Think about that for a second. All the moments that you've really felt in your heart to reach out to somebody, and somehow there's always an excuse that stops us. There's always that, uh, some reason that, well, this reason is different. This time it's a special circumstance. And it's just always an excuse to where everybody, everybody has an excuse of why we can't reach out to them. And what it really boils down to is timidity. We are timid and we are so scared of being rejected when we reach out. We're scared of being rejected when we reach out. And I've shared this story before, but I want to share it again because it's meaningful. I remember it was, I think it was 2011. I was, I was still relatively new to my faith, but I've been a Christian for about two years now. And I had moved back to Del Rio where I went my senior year for high school. I was graduated. I just got done with a ministry internship and I was working at my dad's shop. And I went to this one oil change place to deliver oil. And I would go in frequently and talk with the owner and see you know, if they needed more supplies. And one day when I showed up, I noticed somebody that I went to school with. And we, we instantly recognized each other, had a quick conversation, and I, and I started walking back to my car. And so strong, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, go invite that guy to church. Go talk to him. And I was like, oh, no, it's awkward right now, right? <laughs> it's awkward right now. I just, no, it's, it's not a good time yet. We just met each other again. Let me work my way into it. And eventually I'll get there, God. Let me handle this. And I, I got back in the car and I'm telling you, I felt so convicted. Like everything in me was yelling out, go and talk to that boy. And I literally turned my truck on like, no, it's not ready. <laughs> but the harvest is ready, right? I said, no, it's not ripe yet. I ended up turning my car off getting back out and walking all the way back up to the shop. And as I'm walking up, I see him going to the restroom. I was like, oh, well, that's it. I can't go. <laughs> I went back in my car so fast, trying not to think about it at all, because I looked at it as, well, that's a sign that's just not ready yet. 
and I left. And then the next time I was there, somehow found another excuse of why it wasn't the right time yet. It's just inconvenient. You know, I'm not there for that. I'm, I'm really here for this job. I, let me, next time, we'll probably have a conversation. I need to wait for it to happen organically. <laughs> and it was just a couple weeks that went by. And one day I showed up. All my excuses have, had led me to this day. And I show up and I ask the owner, hey, where's that guy? I, hadn't, I didn't see him here last time, and I don't see him this time. Where'd he go? He said, oh, you didn't hear? He died. He got into a car accident, and he died. And I had never felt the fear of God in my life. Not like I was afraid of God, but the realness of that God was speaking to me in such a real way, and I had made excuses of why I, I wasn't ready to do it. And... At that moment, I realized how incredibly serious the Holy Spirit is. That when he was talking to me, it, that it was actually reaching out over life or death. And now I'm not saying that the whole universe was riding on me. I'm not saying that God couldn't use somebody else to reach out to that guy besides me. But to know that that opportunity was literally laid at my feet and I refused to take it. And I made all the excuses I could of why not to. And it was something that serious. I would have never, I never expected it to be that serious. But see, that's why when it comes to opportunity, everywhere is a harvest field. Everywhere we go is a harvest field. And every single person is important enough and valuable enough for us to throw off our excuses. And whether it's school, a workplace, online, family, restaurant, a car ride, a store, everywhere you go is an opportunity for someone to receive the love of God in their life in some way by you. And we need to look through the lenses of the cross. It's like being cross-eyed, right? We need to... Look, that was funny, right? I needed to kind of ease attention a little bit. You're like, man, I feel so bad now. We need to be cross-eyed and look through the lenses of Jesus and see every person as someone that Jesus died for. Imagine if we looked at every person as somebody that Jesus loved so much that he was willing to go through the brutal death of the cross because he cared about that person so deeply. And that... Not only that, but that that person is someone that God desires to adopt. And if we were to look at everybody as orphans who have given up expecting somebody to adopt them, and we find out that there's this one parent, this one dad that wants to adopt them so much, and he told you to go tell them. Y'all see what I'm saying? And they need to know that they're loved. They need it. And the opportunity is everywhere. I mean, most of you guys were invited by, by someone from my family. <laughs> I mean, if I, it's one thing if I were to tell you guys this and never practice it myself, right? But you guys know, down home, I invite everybody to church and their mother. <laughs> doesn't matter what I'm doing. And it's because of how serious I took it that day. And I'm, I'm 
I'm begging you guys, don't wait for a time like that to change your heart. Whether I'm giving Uber rides or if I'm, I'm leaving a tip for someone at a restaurant, if it's writing a note or if right before they get out of the car, just ask them, hey, do you go to church or anything? It, it doesn't matter. It, every person is valuable and it's worth the shot. It's worth the chance. And so if we were to really start taking action, look at your neighbor and say, we need to take action. Look at your neighbor and say, <laughs> we need to take action. And so for me, I was in sales. Worst time of my life, but it was one of the most educating parts of my life. They, there's a study that said just uh, one year doing door-to-door sales is equivalent to a four-year degree in communication. And so I'm, I'm good, y'all. <laughs> but... I'm a PhD. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so one thing that, that I experienced when I was doing door-to-door sales, which is the har- some of the hardest kinds of sales you can do, is that often every, all the other sales guys would often want to know a pitch. Hey, what's your pitch like? What, what is something that you say to get the ball rolling? How do you do it? And that's kind of what it, I feel like it's like when it comes to trying to reach out to people for Christ. Like, well, how do you do it? What are some of your secrets of the trade? And honestly, the truth is, the more you just do it, the better you get. And that's literally what sales gurus will tell you, is just start practicing with what you got. Don't wait to get the perfect plan and then do it, because you're never going to feel like you got it. You're always going to, no matter what, even if you get taught one to a hundred, you're never going to lose that initial timidity and fear of rejection. And so you just need to just pretty much get rough around the edges. You, you need to just go in there and trial by fire. And, and then through your own experiences, you, you will start to see your own kind of go-tos and strategies and don't just don't not let not having a plan stop you. And as you continue to sometimes, honestly, there's been plenty of times for me where I didn't really know where the conversation was going, <laughs> but I just started it. And by the end of it, it went to where I wanted it to go. And you just sometimes you just got to start the conversation. That's the hardest part. And then you realize that the person doesn't pull a gun on you. They're, they're not just ready to kill you for talking to them. And, and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, this person is actually pretty neat. They, they seem pretty down to earth. I, I could even see being like a friend with this person. Sometimes no, and you're just like, well, you know, I wanted to share this with you. <laughs> but as you, as you start just breaking through that initial part, and just start, in a sense, door knocking. <laughs> not actually door knocking, but talking to people that you, you come across. As you grow, you will learn to develop your own pitches, your go-tos. For me, I love to learn. Uh, I love to learn about the people that Jesus loves. I honestly do. I love hearing about people's lives. I like hearing about their fears, their childhoods, their joys, the things that that make them the person they are. And so, I like to ask questions to get to know people. And I found it to be very effective. And so I'll share with y'all some of my go-tos 
to kind of help y'all get out on the field. Y'all know what I'm saying? And my, my easiest one that's, that I started with that really helped uh, was an acronym called FORM. FORM, F-O-R-M. And that's where I want to learn about people's family. I ask them about where their family's from. They like their family. I get, I, I, for, for me, there's very little barriers. When I talk to high school kids and they tell me, oh, well, I live with my mom right now, I'll ask them, where's your dad at? Do you not like him? And, and they're like, well, no, not really. And I'll ask them, well, why not? What'd he do? And they'll tell me. That not one, it's very rare that someone is like, that's kind of personal. That usually, I'm the only person that ever asked them about those deep things. And afterward, they're usually incredibly grateful that I cared enough to ask. And I'll ask all about their family. Do you like your mom? Do you like your dad? Do you have brothers or sisters? Are you close with them? And then it, the O is orientation. And that's what they do for a living. It could be going to school. It could be a job. But I ask them about it. Is that what you've always wanted to do or is it just right now? Do you like your job? Do you hate your job? Do you want to grow in that job? Or do you want to move somewhere else? Do you like what you're studying? Is it, are you studying for something else? You know, I'm, I'm asking everything about what they do for a living because I want to know why they even chose that. Is it something that just happened or is it something that they like to do? And R is recreation, what they like to do for fun. What, do you like to go? It, it, oddly enough, it's a part, a part where most people don't know what to say initially. Now, well, what do you like to do for fun? Uh, well, I guess just like hang out. <laughs> so, oh, so you like to socialize with others. I feel that. That's what I like too. Uh, oh, I like video games. I like, I like to play instruments. I like to go hiking. I like to go blah, blah, blah. And I'm not trying to relate to the person. I'm trying to get to know them. You can connect with anybody. You may not relate with everybody, but you can connect with everybody. And it, I have no musical abilities at all. I can play the kazoo. Like, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I'll mess around a kazoo like crazy. But I'm joking because I'm not good at any instrument. And the, but yeah, I can talk to anybody that plays instruments and we connect. Y'all feel that? And just get to know somebody. And then finally is usually the message. What is it that you're really trying to share with them? And sometimes it is like, hey man, what's your number? We need to hang out sometime. What? Hey, do you go to church or anything like that? I think that you'd really like the church that I go to. It, it, it's, so, it's so easy for someone to talk when they realize that they're not being sold, that you're actually just getting to know them. And I'm telling you, when you, if, as you develop your own ways of as growing your own stuff, um, it, it starts becoming like a rhythm for you. And it's amazing what you really need to learn about people. And, and even, especially when I'm talking to people where my, usually my goal is to invite them to church, I usually use very general language. I don't use Christianese. I mean, even in church, I don't really say amen, right? I say, you dig it, you feel me? Y'all dig it? <laughs> amen, 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 brother. And when I, like, I, I, honestly, guys, the biggest fear is that we're going to offend somebody by inviting them to church. I don't think I've ever offended somebody inviting them to church. And I, I'm not exaggerating. I've invited hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to church. Every time I'm given an Uber ride, a Lyft ride, I usually invite that person to church. And the way that I usually do it, and I'm just sharing this so maybe it will be helpful to you guys, 
is I ask them in a very general way, hey, so are you like into church or anything like that? And people will usually tell me like, well, not really. I used to. I, I was raised in church. And all of a sudden they're telling me about their life just because I asked if they go to church or anything like that. And sometimes they'll tell me, well, you know, I'm more of like, like, so I like to smoke weed, right? And that's kind of like my spiritual time. And they'll tell me some weird stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, no, I could see that. <laughs> I could see that perspective. I can understand how you found that to be a source of spirituality. I can understand that. But you know what? I really think that you'd like this church that I go to. And, you know, it's, it's so, and usually everyone's like, hey, thanks, man. Thanks. I'm going to check it out. And Lauren always knows she she's on our Instagram page. Everyone's always following our Instagram. And she's like, did you just invite someone to church? Like, yeah, girl, I never stop. (laughs) And and I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if someone's an atheist, if they're a Buddhist, if they don't want to believe if anything, if it, it doesn't matter their orientation. They always are literally grateful when I invite them. Sometimes I'll get the person like, "Okay, thanks. Yeah, maybe I'll check it out. No skin off my nose. I'm giving them a, a, an opportunity for life. If they don't want to take it, it's okay. That's their choice. Mm-hmm. Y'all feel that? But how could I think about it? If you were to, if you saw someone that looked just like you, and they related to you, they they look like you, they sound like you, talk like you, it'd be easy for you to invite them, right? It's like, oh, I feel like I connect with them. We were raised the same way. We're we're a lot alike. And it's like, it was easy to talk to them. But then, if you were to right after talk to somebody that had different skin color, was not raised the way you were raised, had different beliefs, different ideas, and you held back and said, well, I don't know if they would receive it the same way. Is that not the most bigotry, judgmental, and racist thing that you could ever do? See, everybody is on the playing field. And the minute that we start stereotyping who would and who wouldn't receive our the message that we're sharing, it ends up becoming the most bigotrous thing we could do. Y'all feel that? That's real talk. So let's, let's end this whole conversation about connection. We talked about changing our perspective. We talked about taking action. Now let's look at really connecting with folk. See, the re- like I shared, I love finding interest in people. I like to learn about their lives. And so many people that have been reached out to by somebody are destroyed once they get there because no one shows any interest or value in that person. That's why so many people are hurt by church because they actually say, yes, yeah, I'll check your church out. And then they get there and find out that nobody has any desire to show an interest to them. No one talks to them. No one connects with them. And it just seems like, They got invited to a community only to be completely isolated by that community. Isn't that a really cruddy feeling? Mm -hmm. And so that's why when we reach out to people, we are not just trying to get, put one on the scoreboard like, they actually showed up. (laughs) Wow. No, we, we want people to know that they are valuable as people and that they're interesting, that their lives are interesting, that they as a person and their character and their what all about them is interesting, that they are unique, that maybe they just like a hand looks, uh, the fingerprints of a hand look exactly the same from far away. 
Every single fingerprint is different. That's just like how people are. We may all look kind of the same from far away, more or less, but up close, we're all incredibly unique. And we need to show interest in the people that we're trying to reach out to. We're not just trying to uh, reach out to a group of people so that we earn some, some kind of prize in heaven. We're not doing it for a reward. We're doing it because Jesus loves that person and cares about... If Jesus knows every detail on, on uh, every hair on their head, we should know a little bit about him, right? If he's that interested in them, cares that much about them, then there they must be something we need to find. We need to see what Jesus likes so much about that person. You know, I, I used to really... Can I be honest with you guys? I used to not like church people at all. Some of you are like, I still don't like church people. <laughs> I used to not like church people. And when I first gave my life to Christ, I felt like church people were so passive and lazy. And I remember thinking like, man, I had just left the darkness into the light. And I was thinking, man, none of you guys even reached out to me. <laughs> and I was almost like mad that everybody was just so content in church with, with where they were at and not, not extend that light that they have found to others while people are dying in darkness. And so I was so much more evangelistic and I only cared about lost people, people in the dark, and I didn't really care that much about the people in the light. Well, turns out that most of those lost people I reached out to kept going to church, so now they're the church people I reached out to. And so I was... All of a sudden, I was like, oh my gosh, I love these people. <laughs> I reached out to them. I, I, I saw they were in darkness, now they're in light, and now they're just like the people I used to hate. <laughs> and then I realized that the, the, those very people need the same kind of love and care, and that even though I was so judgmental before, it was because I didn't have the right perspective. I didn't have the right interest in others. And it took a duration of time to see those very lost people become go to church long enough i mean that's a win right like it'd be one thing if they just came and left but stay long enough to become those church people and it's it's it changed my perspective and it caused me to want to get to know the person i want to get to know the person because we're in it for the long haul it's not a scoreboard it's not just someone i'm winning that day but it's someone that is a human being and i want to learn about them and, and just like I was sharing earlier, there's times where I've connected with people that no one else even knew about. There's been times where I've been in ministries where I barely show up. I just start volunteering. I just start working in that ministry. And I find somebody and I start asking them about their life. I start asking about their childhood where they live at. There's students that I've talked to that have been in, ministry, in the ministry, in the youth group for years. And I meet them for the very first time. And I ask them about X, Y, Z. Well, why are you living with your dad? Where's your dad living at? Oh, well, we're living in a motel. Man, that sounds really hard. You, you, uh, why, why, you know, why didn't you move here or move there? And they start telling me so much deep, deep, deep things about their life. And I'll ask the student afterwards, have you told any of the other leaders here? No, you're actually the first person I've ever told. I haven't even told my best friend yet. And why would they tell me that? Because Homer's just really cool, right? Really down to earth? No, 
because I was the first person that was willing to go past the that little barrier that people are usually so sketchy about. Mm-hmm. Oh, your parents are divorced. I better not even say mom or dad around you because it's probably a trigger. Mm-hmm. You know, we when someone tells me like, well, yeah, I, I just hate my uncle. Why do you hate him so much? Well, he did some stuff to me. Did he molest you? Yeah, he did. And I end up becoming the first person that they actually get to get that out on. They finally get to open up about it. I've asked kids, do you self-harm? No. And I'll ask them, I'll just say, well, for me, I, I did. And I'll share my story. And I'll just say, if you ever do want to talk about it, you can talk to me about it. I give them a hug. They break down crying. You know, so many times we get like we, we switch our feet around when we go around the topics that actually matter. The points where we actually get to connect with somebody on a deep level past the shallow surface of like, what's your favorite color? What movies do you like? We actually get to deep in the person's life. And it's only when we get deep like that that they can really find healing. How many of you guys have been to like PTO, Peel the Onion? A lot of you guys, right? One of the most powerful things about those retreats is that they get really deep into the messed up stuff of your life. And why it's such a breakthrough for so many people is because they've never talked about that stuff before. Because no one ever asked. We need to connect with people on a real level. And it's only when we, when we care about people like that, that we connect with them, that we really start to build a bond. That you build a bond with those people that we've reached out to because we realize that they are people that we're joining with in eternity. It's not just somebody that started going to my church, but it's somebody I started going with to church. It's not somebody that I just started going with to church, but somebody that now I'm going to spend eternity with in heaven. Y'all see that? It's somebody that when they have a really bad time, I'm going to be there for them. And when I go through a difficult time, they're going to be a person I can confide in. There's a bond that builds when we connect to the people we reach out to. And it's, it's honestly a win-win because it builds your confidence that you actually are connecting with somebody, that you're not alone, that you, that you are winning people to the Lord. And it's such an accomplishment for them because they said yes, made you feel great while someone finally said yes. And it also is an accomplishment for them, a great thing for them because someone finally invited them. It took me, after I gave my life to Christ at home, it took months for me to finally get invited to church because no one was inviting anybody. And even the people that invited me told me that they never thought I was going to keep going because I was too messed up. And if they were to actually have connected with me, imagine if I didn't keep going. And I was just another person that was going to just go to hell. Well, that was their choice. But to know that I would have stayed if they connected with me, if they followed up with me, if they actually cared about me. Y'all get what I'm saying here? Think of how many people who've tried church out left and they would have stayed if someone just cared about them as someone just connected with them we should never stop watering what we've planted Amen. 
We should never stop watering what we've planted. And whether that person received your message or not, if you, have the, if you know them, you have a chance for them, why not reach out to them every now and then? My wife is amazing at inviting people to church over and over and over. There's some people that were invited over a dozen times before they finally ever showed up. And when they showed up, they loved it. They felt loved. They felt inspired. They felt good. And it's because she kept watering. She didn't give up. She kept following up. There's so many people that have come and been discouraged and wanted to stop. But because we keep following up with them saying, hey, it's, it's okay. You're going to get through this. Keep coming. We're here for you. Let us pray for you. That follow-up, that connection, caused them to get through that storm. And, and when you think about how people need, their souls need nourishment and connection just like us. How, to know that you can be one of the most valuable per- people in someone's life by just showing a little bit of interest. By caring about them. If you think about the people that matter most in your life, that have helped you the most, it's been the people that have followed up with you. Hey, how, how'd that job interview go? Don't even live in the same city, but they call you and say, hey, how did it go? And it makes you feel like you're cared about. Like that someone is interested in your life. It makes you feel like you're not really alone. And to know that you have the opportunity to show somebody that kind of care And all of you know how hard it is to find someone like that. It's hard to know that you could provide that for somebody else. That's meaningful, y'all. And so with that being said, I want us to close our eyes and bow our heads. And this this is a heavy topic for me. And it's so meaningful because people don't realize how valuable they are. So many of us do not realize how valuable we are. And if that is you today, and maybe the very first thing you need to find value in is the value that Christ sees in you. If that's you today, and you for the, maybe for the first time need to receive that love of God in your life, and you want to start walking a relationship with Him and be the, respond to the very most important reach that has ever been extended to you, and that's God's reach to you in Christ. If that's you, with every eye closed and head bowed, I want you to just raise your hand. I see your hands. And I believe in repeating something to make it more important. Things are more meaningful to us when it's repeated. We, we remember it better, sticks out more. And for all of us, I believe that when we pray a prayer of commitment to Christ, when we pray that prayer together, it is a re- re- repeated prayer that reaffirms our relationship with God. Because even if you didn't raise your hand, I know that there's so many of us here that doubt our own salvation. So many of us doubt God's love for us. You consistently think at random parts of the day, random parts of the week, if you really matter. 
if you're really worthy. And you need to pray this prayer to all of us together as a reaffirmation of God's love for you, his value for you, his sacrifice for you. So I want us all to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, Jesus. your sacrifice and your love is something so incredibly real. It's so great that sometimes I don't believe it. But right now, I want to reaffirm the fact that your love is real. That your resurrection is real. That you have called me. That you have chosen me. That you do believe in me. Now you see the best in me, not the worst in me. I love you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross, even if it was just me. And I believe you rose from the dead. You are the Lord of my life. You're the only Savior to my soul. Increase my faith. And help me to trust your love. In Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.